everybody, and welcome to Watch Party Gaming. This is your host, Siobhan, and I am joined once again by my panel. Say hello, panel. Hello, hello panel. panel. Hello. Uh, 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 hello, panel? Rurark's not used to saying that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 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 host has never done that right. <laughs> hello, panel. Hi, panel. 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 Oh, yeah. Yes, I am a panelist. So- <laughs> <laughs> and but I'm enough about in, uh, your private life. <laughs> <laughs> so as you can tell, our panel today includes Ruark. Hey. And Greg. Hello there. Say hello, David. If you're going to steal a starship, you've got to do it correctly. Words to live by. Uh, DW. <laughs> Greetings. And Axel. Hello. So today we are doing episode four, Saturday morning fun times. Whee! <clears throat> and uh, we, we actually had to push this um, one back a week uh, due to technical difficulties. So hopefully I can remember what I'm talking about because I'm looking at my notes and I can read about half of them. Um, <laughs> <laughs> we'll make it happen. So just uh, um, one thing that I um, did is because we are getting closer and closer to the actual apocalypse and the the climax of the story. um, Wait, wait, are we talking about the show or real life? (coughs) Yes, yes. (laughs) Yes, have some. Yes, have some. But in referring to the show, there's a lot of back and forth between the main characters. So like you'll jump back and forth between Adam and uh, what's going on with Aziraphale and Crowley. So for some of the short scenes, I've just put them together in my notes. So if it looks like I've skipped something, I haven't necessarily. We're going to get back to it. So starting right at the top, the episode opens with a cruise ship running aground on the continent of Atlantis. And we see all these uh, people in robes standing in the city wearing diving helmets that aren't attached to anything. And I'm just hearing Donovan in my head. Way down below the ocean. I'm, now I'm going to have an earworm for the rest wow. of the week. Thank you, Greg. You're welcome. So I had to look up quoits. I had no idea what quoits were before I saw this episode, and I actually went and looked up, and apparently it's ring toss. Why not? Competitive ring toss. Yeah, sure. Mm-hmm. As long as you can win a goldfish. There's a, there's a lot of time on a boat. Yeah. <laughs> You're going to invent games. Like, there's just a lot of time on a boat. I've been in one cruise my entire life, and quite honestly, I spent most of the time drinking. As you should. Like, <laughs> fuck all else to drinking do, right? games were invented, right? <laughs> like cruise ships. Fair. I, I just love their choice of headgear. Just yeah. You know. I, I feel like it, it's a case of they just found these things lying around, and they were like, "Hey, this looks pretty nice." So it's more of a fashion statement. Yeah. Than Check out my new yeah. chapeau. <laughs> yeah, yeah. they probably, you know, found it off a poor diver who happened yeah. to go down near there and something happened to him. And uh, they managed to get a cool piece of headwear out of it. They're, they're useful also because they're heavy. So they help them stay actually down, stay down in Atlantis <laughs> as opposed to just floating up to the surface. So. As you should. But they're useful and and fashionable. So the next scene, we jump over to Adam, the creator of Atlantis. Um hanging around with the rest of the them <clears throat> and telling them stories about, you know, Tibetans and secret tunnels and nuclear reactors. And there's a line he says where they're questioning, 
do you really believe these stories? And he says, what I say is true. Ah. Well, the other thing is, it, there's an interesting aspect from the uh, book series, uh, or the, sorry, the book, uh, Never Ending Story. Uh, never got incorporated in the movies, but there was a thing about when he would name things, when Bastion went to Fantastica and named things, that was its name forever, had always been its name. So it's interesting, you, you referred to him as the creator of Atlantis, but it's also kind of like, but Atlantis was then always there. He just yeah. brought it up. Yeah, he's more the uncoverer. Yeah. There's another great line that he has. Things on the internet can be made up. This is magazines. Exactly. They can't make up things in magazines. It's illegal. There's a, there's a line from the book um, where it says that it was a good thing that Adam's powers did not manifest until he was 11, because otherwise, um, when he was... A child, Christmas would have been ruined by the discovery of an upside down fat man in the heating vents. Um, <laughs> so, if you if you created Santa, would you not be creating him with his powers? But his powers only apply to chimneys. <laughs> okay, fair enough. You're right. You're right. The heating vent. No, no, back. Totally no, no, tax. No, I'm rules lawyering. Totally tax. No, it it is a beautiful rules lawyering. I accept the I accept the uh, judgment. Santa Claus attempted a John McCain, but or, uh, McLean, but couldn't quite make it. Okay, there's a big difference there. There's a big difference between John McCain and John McLean. Come out for Christmas. <laughs> Come out to the coast. Have a few laughs. So there's there's also um, mention of a highway that was supposed to go through Tadfield that ended up going ten miles around, and you know Newt has already figured out that the weather is always perfect. So he's always had his powers. He's always been able to influence reality, but just it seems like now all of a sudden it's become much more purposeful, and he's starting to become aware of it. So he's saying things like, "What I say is true." So next we go to the park. Um, I don't. Axel, do you know what park this is? I have no idea. I don't remember, I'm afraid. Probably Hyde Park. There's three things that stuck out to me about this scene. One is Aziraphale runs like he's never done it before. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> There's a lot of effort into very little movement going on here. Um, the other was that person dressed up as an angel in the gold paint. Yes. That is not performer. a thing you really see in Canada. I saw it in um, when I've traveled. Like uh, Italy was full of people who who did those, and I've seen it in Hollywood. But New York has a couple too. Yeah, and Vegas. <clears throat> Vegas, yeah, Vegas. I've never seen the gold paint people. I've seen the silver paint people. Yeah. Is there a significant difference between those? <laughs> yeah, because you have to be really good as a silver paint person before you're allowed to start using so, the gold Okay, paint. so yeah, it's yeah, a graphic yeah, promotion. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's like belts. It's like their belts. It, do they have gotcha, a guild? Gotcha. Is, that, is, is that how that works? They like are if you're in fact gilded, yes. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> the gelt guild? So, the gilt guild? Oh, God. So, if you're, if you're, like, using gold paint above your station, they send, you know, Marco around to sort you out. There's a whole bunch of platinum people that come in and start reading you the riot act. <laughs> All in pantomime. <laughs> the, the pantomime's the best part. <clears throat> or, no, they stand very still and... Point just their give fingers them, at you. Yeah, give them the stink eye. Just 
it, it, it's like the weeping angels, but more scolding. They're, they're scolding, <laughs> angels. They're scolding angels. <clears throat> more scolding instead of doom. The other thing I loved about this scene was Gabriel wearing his sweatsuit with the little Wing lavender logo. wings <laughs> logo <laughs> instead of the, the polo player. I just thought that was a super cute little costuming detail. Yeah. Nobody's going to mention John Hamm and gray sweatpants? Really? <laughs> Run with it. Go. I've heard the legends. I, I, I think if he ran with it, it would have been indecent. Yeah. Yeah. I've heard the legends. So the costumers had to do myth. some work there. Okay. Now I kind of want to go back and rewatch the scene. <laughs> slow, slow mo. Slow motion. Yeah. 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 <laughs> it, it it's like watching a t- an Italian meats truck just like going down the road and just all, watching them sausages just switch back and forth, hitting potholes. Ruark, your mic is on this time. <laughs> oh dear. <laughs> so next we jump to heaven. Michael has pulled some photographs from the Earth observation files that very clearly show that Aziraphale and Crowley have been hanging around for a very long time. Michael's sneaky. So Michael is. Michael is, is she's like, oh, you don't mind if I follow this up using back channels. And, and Gabriel's like, there are no back channels. <laughs> and, and I'm kind of torn between Gabriel doesn't know. Or Gabriel knows, but it's something you don't talk about. And he's actually just reminding Michael that this is not something you say out loud. Wink, yeah. wink, uh, phrasing. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. Yeah. It, it's, I need plausible deniability, so I'm going to pretend I don't know anything about what you're talking about. Right. The things that I thought were really neat about this scene is when Gabriel is looking out the window, you can actually see all these buildings outside. And I'm assuming that's the rest of heaven because you have like skyscrapers, pyramids, pretty much any, you know, major piece of human architecture is seen through that window. So I'm imagining that's where the humans live because it looks like pieces of their home. Looks like I've got it up over here. It looks like there's sort of, there's an Eiffel Tower in the background. You mean French people are allowed into heaven? Really <laughs> <is> <laughs> broken. <laughs> There's, a, there's at least one. Mon Dieu. <laughs> Whoa, nice. Spoken like a true Brit. <laughs> <laughs> the other thing that's kind of neat is that when Michael calls um, Ligger, she's using a cell phone and he's on a landline. Yeah, they still have rotary in hell. Yeah, it's <laughs> definitely much more primitive. And I, I, I think that's neat because, I mean, as we've established, demons don't really get technology. Yeah, they're still no. on switchboards. Yeah, but you can see... Um, when hanging up was blowing on, on the hoverboards. <laughs> at, at least they have indoor plumbing that doesn't work. Did you notice that hanging up was blowing yeah. on the phone or blowing a kiss at the phone or something? Yes. She just goes... And, it, and that was the hang up. The phone kind of disappeared. So next we jump to Crowley's apartment and he's angsting about where the hell he goes and he blows apart the book of astronomy. There's a, one of the things that's neat about this is one of the, the planets that floats by in the camera at one point is Gallifrey. <laughs> I um, think of this scene as you have somebody who's done Shakespeare and why would you waste him? So <laughs> you get him up there talking to God. 
But it also shows when he gets to the point when he's talking about the the nebula that he helped create. It's like he still pines for the time when he was angelic and the things he was able to do as an angel before the fall. It's like all I did was ask questions. That's all you had to do to be a demon in the old days. Hey, God, what's your favorite color? (laughs) (laughs) Demon. (laughs) Red. No, blue. No. Ah, Paper or plastic? That's it. You're doomed. (laughs) (laughs) You want cheese on that? (laughs) Oh, shit. (laughs) (laughs) So from there, we go back to meeting two more horsemen. We meet... Pollution, who replaced Pestilence. Pestilence apparently retired when antibiotics were invented. (laughs) You will note that this came out before the pandemic. Right. (laughs) Because what the hell? Um, And then then we meet. So just so you know, uh, Pollution Mm -hmm. is canonically non-binary in the script. It gets a cool tiara. Yes. And then we meet Death. So what I found interesting about this is like you have that little intro scene where um, Leslie, the delivery man, um, is talking to his wife and he says, you know, ours is not to reason why, but he doesn't finish the quote. He says, ours Ours is is but to deliver packages. Mm -hmm. But then he has to die in order to meet death. And he seems to know it's coming. Like he leaves the note for his wife saying, you know, I love you. Whatever the envelope he got said. I tried to pause and read, but I didn't, it didn't even look like it was it doesn't in show you the text. human language. It shows you some writing, but I don't no. think it was in a human language. It was in Gallifreyan. Oh, of course it was. Yeah. Of course it in was. Enochian or something like that. <laughs> Atlantean. Yeah. So I liked, so I don't know if you've read any Pratchett. I very much like the death from Terry Pratchett's. Novel. I wondered yeah. how much was pulled from that because I did notice some similarities. But I think Terry Pratchett's death is nicer. Yeah. Well, you, you don't get Brian Cox to play a nice character. I guess. <laughs> this this yeah. this death seems to enjoy his job a little too much. Yeah, it's nowhere it's nowhere near Gaiman's death in uh, Sandman, that's for sure. No, no yeah. definitely not. I mean, the thing is, this is death who is, you know, has got a job to do. Right. Right. Like this, this is death um, coming in, coming into their own. They, you know, it's the end of the world. They've, they've, so, you know, I think you would get a diff, like death is going to behave differently based on what they've got to do. Sure. You know, you've got a regular workaday de- death who isn't really all that invested in any given death. But this one now, it's time for everyone. Well, and the the four horsemen are all kind of that way, so it would be a little strange yeah. to have death be outside of that. Yeah, you know, we've been waiting Everybody's forever for this moment, and our lives are only fulfilled by this moment. Well, about eight thousand years this time, not in this universe. I, I find it an interesting point because death happens to everybody, whereas the other three horsemen. This is kind of like their big reason for existing. I don't know that you can say the same about death. Well, it's like they're they're all natural. Yeah, I mean, like know, war and pestilence. War, but, well, yeah, like they occur in the in the natural world to every living being. <clears throat> well, Shishibon's you know, point though, the world would go on without the other ones. 
Oh, death is true. death is final. Although, I mean, I suppose you know, if everyone lived forever, that's a possibility. It too. would get very crowded. You think it's it hard was, to find a parking spot and, now? <laughs> <laughs> and it's and not then just you would people. have famine and pestilence as well. Yeah. Sure, so. yeah, it's like yeah. animals and the whole ecosystem. Yeah, you, you know, I'm going to go on a rant here for a second. This has always bothered me about the horsemen. You've got these other horsemen with cool stuff like, I am war, I cause men to slaughter each other, resulting in death. I am famine, I cause people to wither away, resulting in their death. I am pollution, or whatever the fuck they want to make the third one, and I Pestilence. cause acid rain, resulting in massive death. I am death. Like, like all of them just end in death, so why is death his own horseman? Death is the result of the horseman, not a horseman themselves, right? But he has to be there at the end of the world, because it's the death of everything. Death is wherever death happens, right? Ooh, what an interesting thought you just put in my head, Rark, with that, is what an interesting torture of famine without dying. Yeah. War without dying. Right. Pestilence. The suffering, the, the effects of pollution without dying. And then death comes in and reaps the benefit. Oh, but how long does death wait before? Like, how long is the torture of the war famine and either pestilence or pollution? And then death arrives. That is an ultimate torture. I mean, we've kind yep. of, ex- it gets explored in lots of other properties. Well, those... then in that case, still, why does death exist? Because you can torture them forever if death is there. <laughs> Because any apocalypse usually has some sort of judgment to the end, so there's the point where you cash out and you count your chips. But what if you want to double down? I I don't think you always get to decide how late the casino is open. (laughs) (laughs) As long as I still have chips on the table, that casino's open. (laughs) So, moving on from the horsemen. (laughs) (laughs) We go back to them uh, meeting Anathema. Anathema tries to make friends by offering people food. It just seems to be her thing. She offers um, Adam lemonade, and now she's offering them candy. I thought it was cute that Wensleydale is the first one to fold (laughs) and say, well, I'm taking (laughs) some chocolate. I don't know about you guys. Don't take stuff from witches. <laughs> well, I'm going to have some. <laughs> we don't take stuff from witches. I do. So Because it's chocolate. When they move into the kitchen, we hear uh, an announcer over the BBC talking about uh, the disappearance of the nuclear reactor. And it then segues to Newt in his car, listening to the exact same broadcast. So I wanted to bring this up because that voiceover was done by an actor named Paul Kay. Paul Kay played Terry Pratchett in a story about his life. So that was Terry Pratchett on the radio. Before he became a writer, he worked for the the press office of the Central Electricity Generating Board. Wow. Which is the board that also oversaw the nuclear reactors in the UK. So that was actually Terry Pratchett. (laughs) As played That's by an a actor. very cool Easter egg. Yeah, so that I, f- I found a, a website that just talks about Easter eggs and good omens, and that was just one of the ones that they listed, and I just thought that was so cool I had to bring it up. 
Yeah, I love how they were asking, how could it still be producing electricity? It's like, we were hoping you clever buggers at the BBC would, would have an idea. <laughs> <laughs> so now I'm always going to think that's Terry Pratt, what Terry Pratchett sounded like. <laughs> I never yeah. heard his voice. <laughs> so Newt goes to see uh, Shadwell and gets his, uh, his armor of righteousness, all his equipment against demonic attack. Pendulum. Don't think I'll be needing the thumb screws. <laughs> thumb screws. <laughs> taking the thumb screws. In the book, the second he's away from the from Shadwell's place, he tosses the thumb screws and the fire lighters out the window. <laughs> just like no. I love the uh, budget birthday candle. Yes. <laughs> the book doesn't specify what the candle has to be, so Shadwell's just making do. And then he sees the UFO in the road, which is another thing that Adam has brought back. So in the um, book, there's a very clear description of a Dalek coming down the gangplank behind the other aliens. Awesome. <laughs> <laughs> which I'm sure they had to leave out of the show for, for you know, copyright, copyright reasons. Yeah. Oh, so every British person in existence can be in an episode of Doctor Who, but Daleks can't be in anything else? That seems... <laughs> That's unfair. Well, I, in, in my study of BBC television, there are only 10 actors in England. Pretty much. Yeah, and they're just in everything. They're in Doctor so the Who, Harry Potter. They just Game put a new Thrones. wig on them. They learned that from Monty Python. They put a new wig, maybe a dress, and no, they the, put them in another show, and it's the same actor. They're 10 no, actors. No, the thing is, there are only 10 actors left in England. The rest of them came to the U.S. and took all the U.S. actors' jobs. Oh, I was going to say, did, were they all True. killed by Daleks? So the thing about Daleks is that the rights to them are owned by Terry Nation. Um the guy who invented them, not by the BBC. Um, and he is, an, or I guess his estate is in the habit of charging up the arse for access to it and, con and creative control. So I can totally see Gaiman not wanting to go near that bullshit. <laughs> Officially in the too Ballad. much hassle column. Yep. At, at right. that point, you just build a Dalek out of a trash can and a toilet plunger and just send it down the... the ramp you know oh you mean like it was in the original version <laughs> have you been to uh gallifrey con it does explain why the bbc keeps bringing them back i guess once you've paid for the license you're kind of like we might as well you know <laughs> yeah. get really our really worth. popular in britain for some reason i i think my favorite one i ever saw at gallifrey one uh the convention in la um was as if made by gilligan and the professor oh, no. Awesome. <laughs> How many coconuts? coconuts? Bamboo. It was brilliant. It was brilliant. Please tell me the end of the plunger was a coconut. Uh, it was. It was a half shell coconut. Okay, yes. awesome. Yeah. Excellent. <laughs> Can you build a radio out of coconuts? <laughs> but you can't fit fix a two foot hole in yep. a boat. Right. <laughs> Some professor. That's what happens when you bring in a, a professor of electrical engineering on a Yeah, on yeah they just should have brought a professor of boatology or something. A mechanic. That's a thing, right? Really. Like, that's yeah. the thing. Yeah, like, it's a you don't need a professor. Botology, you need, you need an engineer is what you need. Yeah. <laughs> they got a professor. You know, like, they, he's too expert for, 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 for the low-level work that's required. That's the problem. I right. think he's think tank level. I don't think he's uh, production level. Yeah. Yeah, he, he's, so, he's so, more the. So it's it's the equivalent of uh, is there a doctor on the plane? Well, I'm a doctor of philosophy. <laughs> <laughs> I got an honorary doctorate in acting. <laughs> he he could fix the boat. He just doesn't want to go back to reality. 
Yeah, fair enough. It, yes, he's going to yeah, go back to academia. academia. <laughs> yeah, 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 that's his reality. I mean, dude, if I was stuck on that island with Mrs. Howell, oh, yeah. <laughs> oh. Oh. <laughs> Be lovey all day long. Oh, hey, yeah. And I'm pretty oh, yeah. sure all the money was hers anyway, so. Yeah, probably. <laughs> he married into it, for sure. Thurston married into it, totally. Oh, yeah. So on Watch Party Gilligan's Island. <laughs> <laughs> so um, next we jump over to, uh, so after Newt f- absolutely fails to be a proper witch finder because he doesn't count the alien's nipples, um, then, we <laughs> then we jump back to Adam and them. <laughs> which, which tells me that there's a book somewhere in their library that's like, what, kind, what planet is it from based on how many nipples? That's why you need to ask. <laughs> I didn't write down who it was, but one of the them says we should save the whales. So they make the suggestion to Adam. And then the next thing you know, we jump to a whaling ship that is being taken out by the Kraken. I've just got it up over here, and uh, Adam comes up with him comes up with it himself. And uh, oh, does Pepper's he? Thinking it's like why why would why would we you know need to save whales? What do they just do? They just hang out and swim and eat things. And oh my god, I want to be a whale now. <laughs> Prepare for the eventuality when the space probe comes to destroy the Earth. And can yeah, only I, talk I was to the whales. Really Obviously. I was just whales. about to say they are <laughs> screwing with the timeline here because if they save all the whales, then there's no reason for Shatner to come back to the 80s. And then, and then like, everything is just all. And we will never find the nuclear vessels. Yes. And we will never have transparent <laughs> aluminum. <laughs> okay, Computer. this may be Computer. off topic. <laughs> have you seen the bit about the deleted scene where uh, Sulu met his great grandfather? Yeah. No. Yeah, there's. It apparently was a whole scene. They had a a little young actor who was going to play Sulu's great grandfather, and they and they were going to talk about the the kind of the the uh, Asian American uh, experience and stuff like that. And it was going to be that like he only spoke the language um, that that his great grandfather spoke. So it was going to be this moment with subtitles and everything. And for literally just for pacing, it got cut. Dope. Mm. That's unfortunate. So George Takei had to wait a while to tell his story. Yeah. Anyway, so, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. so the, the two things that, about that scene, he mentions the size of the brains, and it's very much a shout out to like Crowley saying, "Bloody big bra- brains!" You know, Wales Brain City. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and um, they didn't use. Uh, there's a rainforest scene in the book. They didn't use that scene probably because it would have been a nightmare to shoot. But there's um, a scene where the rainforest starts regrowing and it's growing where people have built cities. So like office buildings are being taken out by these massive trees that are growing feet per second. That would be cool. I, again, a nightmare to shoot, but it would have been really cool. <laughs> yeah. If you have the CG, you can do it. But, uh, you know, the, the news report saying it's the fifth Japanese whaling ship destroyed today by an enormous sea creature. Um, <laughs> the whales are, uh, the, the, the killer whales at least, are uh, kind of doing I'm the same organized. thing except with yachts. Oh, yeah. <laughs> they seem to be organized, organized and it's wild. Hey, I'm not convinced they didn't have something to do with the sub. True. Oh, you've, you've seen the meme of the one going, I don't, I don't know anything about this sub. <laughs> <laughs> sub, what are you talking about? 
I don't know. I think the the sub was its own worst enemy. But that is now officially yep. the most expensive can of pressed ham in the world. <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> and for those of you listening 10 years from now, hopefully, this will mean nothing to you. <laughs> oh, they'll you still remember internet? the Look dumbass in the Titanic sub. I'm, I'm pretty <laughs> sure. That, 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 that will the go level down of humorous involved in that live is just on way for so too long. good. Yeah. yeah. He even named it part of the name of the Titanic. That was just right. not smart. <laughs> it's hilarious how my heart will go on went back into the charts. <laughs> <laughs> did you hear they probably heard it on repeat? It did. The systems would have been rebooting, and so it would have been playing that, the intro. That, 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 <laughs> the pity no. whistle solo as a harbinger of doom. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. It, is, it actually is one of the predictions of, of what happened. Yeah, it's one of, one of the Agnes Nutter predictions. Um, shouting out to another podcast out there. I, I cannot wait until, well, there's your problem, does their submarine episode, because that's going to be um, so from there, we go to hell, uh, where Ligger and Haster talk about their suspicions of Crowley. And there's this kind of like, who's on first conversation where it's like, what has he done? Nothing good. Oh, he's not supposed to do good. That <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> <laughs> he's, he's doing it right. <laughs> he's going to be torched. Or toasted, toasted. That was. I it. love the 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 whole environment is like these bankers boxes and piles of folder, and you can see people in the background kind of looking for something through the files. And I'm like, yeah, that's hell. That's <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that is bureaucratic hell. That is the reason Perpetual why nobody actually problems. knows what Crowley is doing. All his reports are in there somewhere. <laughs> So Haster has to go to the fields of Megiddo, where Armageddon is going to start. And we get an absolutely wonderful scene with um, the uh, disposable demon. <laughs> disposable demon. Your Disgrace is apparently the title for a, a, the correct way to address the Duke of Hell. <laughs> so, so here's a question for you. What animal do you think Eric is? What's his animal aspect? Because going by the, the hair, I would say rabbit. But he's got the most amazing eyelashes I've ever seen. Well, it's hard to tell, but, you know, he's the perpetual victim, so... He's definitely a prey animal. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. What, what was, was it Life is Hell? Was that the name of the book that Matt Groening yeah. did? Yeah. Life in Hell. Simpsons? Yeah. Life in... Yeah, because a lot of them were rabbits or one-eared rabbits or, you mm-hmm. know, and, and I, that's the vibe I got off of them. Yeah, well, I, I mean, can see it. it, it, it you were saying that, that they had amazing eyelashes, and I mean, you know, the amount of cosmetics tested on rabbits, they should have amazing eyelashes. Oh, oh. Wow. Nice. Ruark the Gotharian has come. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's beautiful. Choose your form. <laughs> Tiny bunny. <laughs> we then bounce over back to Anathema and them, where she's offering sandwiches because you know that's how Anathema makes friends. She gives them, she feeds them. That's her love language. Yeah. <clears throat> and you see Adam see the 
picture, the artistic rendering of the Antichrist, and he gets very mesmerized. Everybody else is freaking out because they just saw this guy have a car accident, and they dragged him in the into the, the cottage. Well, the car accident caused by the, uh, the by Tibetans. By the Tibetans, the yeah. <laughs> but Adam's staring at this picture, and then just as everybody is leaving, he says, I didn't say you could go. He throws it off as a joke, but then he appears behind the tree. And I've looked at this scene a couple of times. When they're approaching the, tr- the tree, you can't see him. And then they pass the tree, and he's standing behind it. And it's just really creepy. <laughs> like, even though he's just like, he's literally an 11-year-old boy with a puppy, <laughs> he still manages to come off as being really creepy. I think that actor is, just did such a good job. From there, uh, we go back to Megiddo and the ambassador and uh, warlock and the ambassador's wife um, meet Haster, who introduces himself as Haster La Vista, which is... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think they Funny heard my groan. Yes, I think they heard my groan all the way down the street with that one. I, I, I had to get up and walk that one off. That was bad. And I, I love the fact that Warlock is not it's the Antichrist. Shit. He's just a little <laughs> dick. <laughs> you smell like poo. And you're an asshole. Haster is not sexist. He says, you know, which one of you is the ambassador? Which Nick Offerman's character kind of takes offense at. <laughs> so this is the point at which Haster realizes that Crowley has lost the Antichrist. And he does this thing where he bites his hand and like all this black blood comes out. What the hell? <laughs> yeah, literally. What the hell? <laughs> yeah. So then you jump to the movie theater where Crowley is just sitting watching cartoons. And Haster uh, <laughs> manifests on electronic device as his his as is his thing and uh, starts threatening Crowley as a cartoon <laughs> character in a rabbit outfit. I just love the dark <laughs> turn through this whole scene. The claymation demon. So Neil Gaiman is in the audience here. There's a shot where you just, you only ever see the back of his head. There's um, a story behind this that uh, when Terry Pratchett was alive, the two of them had agreed that if they ever did manage to get good omens on the screen, they would be in it. They would be in the background of the sushi restaurant having sushi together because that was always their thing. When they got together, they would go for sushi. Um, And... Neil Gaiman said when the taping actually came, the original plan would be for him to still be in the background of the sushi restaurant. But then when it actually happened, he's like, I couldn't do it. <laughs> like, it was just not without him. So as an alternative, he's uh, drunk asleep in the front row of the movie theater <laughs> watching cartoons. <laughs> Back when I was growing up in Toronto, there used to be one of those movie theaters that would play either cartoons or porn on a 24-hour cycle, so no matter what time of the day. I'm not even so, joking. It was so one having, of the other. Having a guy fall asleep drunk uh, from the porn session, rolling into the cartoon session is not outside the realm of possibility. <laughs> Absolutely not. And if you're if you were like middle of the night and you had no place to go, you would spend, you know, five bucks on a ticket to just sit in the movie theater and like <laughs> four in the morning and wait until, you know, the, the subway yeah, the, started. The floors are sticky for different reasons. 
but still. Greg is competing for the Gotharian title. <laughs> oh, are we, are we turning this into a competition? <laughs> Please no. DW is regretting his voiceover. Yeah, we, we already know that Axel's going to win. <laughs> yeah, I, I can see. I can see. They it. will wait for their moment, and they will come out with something really, really horrifying. <laughs> like a sniper. Um, so then we uh, have Newt and meeting anathema I mean, he wakes up on her bed which you know is <laughs> as is the prophecy I-, I love how he says i'm actually a computer engineer yeah not very good <laughs> not very good at it but so he's the one that tells anathema who the antichrist is because when he sees the prophecy he recognizes this is who he yeah, is everything that here. is going on yeah, yeah. yeah. to to mm-hmm. check up on Newt is clever. He's, he's, you can't tell because he's so completely unworldly, but he's actually quite sharp. I kind of read it as because he can't use all of the modern devices that we have, he has learned how to put all these disparate pieces of information together himself. Yeah. Because yeah, he can't have sense. it fed to him like the rest of us. And, and right. he, he so he's look looking at, at the world in a completely different way than the rest of us. So the, the patterns that we aren't seeing, he's just like, oh, yeah, it's right, right there. Yeah, it's yeah, obvious. Yeah. From there, we jump back to Adam, who is now telling his friends, I am going to end the world and start all over. And they are horrified. Let us, let us go. Let us go home. And he's like, there's nowhere to go. It won't. There won't be anything after I'm done. We're going to make it start again. So you can see that he's kind of like dragging them around against their will. In the book, it explicitly says if they tried to stop themselves from marching, they would just end up with broken legs and they'd have to march anyway. Ow. I kind of uh, read it as... Boys can be cruel. He sees them as his uh, horsemen at this point because he doesn't have the actual horsemen. Oh, yeah. Oh, good point. Yeah. And, and I was good point. I was trying to like attribute the horseman's attributes to each of them and it didn't quite work for me, but I just kind of had that thought of he's creating his own horseman because he doesn't have the ones he's supposed to have at this point. Not yet. Very, very good. Yeah. Yeah, and he it actually says in the book um because he says, you know, I have some friends coming. In the book it says, you'll like them. They're very much like you. Hmm. They're sort of kind. They're sort of kind of the opposites. I mean, you get Winsleydale, who is you know, sort of the opposite of you know famine. Mm-hmm. He's always up for the first one to take the chocolate. Snack. Yeah, there'll be a nutritious so, lunch hmm. waiting for me at home. <laughs> yes, if you are the one that takes the food, then it isn't available for other people. Uh-huh. Oh, right. But it is interesting. She refers to herself as the mother of unborn generations. So life versus death. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Now, I, yeah. I hadn't thought of this. Yeah. That is a very Pepper, interesting yeah. aspect. That's right. But then who's but also, for? So also war um, requires lots and lots of, uh, requires lots of cannon fodder, right? Yeah. You can't have a war without lots of, of generations of babies. True. Um, and Adam himself is death. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, so in... The in the, in the 
book of Revelation, the four horsemen um, aren't described explicitly. Um, their, their horses are described. Mm-hmm. There's white, red, black, and green, or pale. Um, red is war. That's pretty much a definite one. And black is um, famine, and that's a pretty definite one. Um, green is death and or, and or pestilence. The um, pale horse. F- sorry, green and dis- is famine and is sorry. Green is death and disease, and white is either uh, pestilence or the Christ or the Antichrist. Hmm. Huh. Interesting. So, is this one of those things where pop culture has kind of jumped in and changed? Our understanding yep. of what was actually in Revelations. Yep. Interesting. Yep. Yep. Mm. So, yep. who rode the unicorn? Crowley. That would war. be whimsy. <laughs> <laughs> you put a spike on the head of your horse. That's war. Oh yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. What's the horn made of? That's the question. Depleted titanium or depleted uranium? Yeah, that would be death. <laughs> that that would be war. That, oh yeah, true, true. That would be. Yeah. So next scene, um, Crowley. I'm just jumping in whenever you guys transition. Like, slow down. <laughs> it's like, all right, get in there. So anyway, shut um, the fuck up and moving on. <laughs> next scene. <laughs> next scene. Crowley has um, goes running up to Azurafel in the street. Hell knows what happened. They know I've lost the Antichrist. We've got to go, man. <laughs> we are in so much trouble. None of this is in the book. Um, but again, we this... see the uh, the car with the curtain uh, backwards license yes. plate. Yes, I was so proud of myself that I figured that out on my own. I, I was just watching the show, and I'm like, his license plate is curtain backwards. Yay. <laughs> and do we, do we know why now? Do we have any idea? So I had mentioned that I found that website full of the the Easter eggs. Um, mm-hmm. It's from the meaning of life. There's a scene where um, the final curtain um, as they draw is shown the final from curtain. the from from the reverse. So it says curtain ah. backwards. Little Python nod. Very nice. Yes. Ah. I thought it was something like that. Like so that somebody seeing him in the rear view would just see curtain. It's curtains for you. <laughs> yes. <laughs> very, very demonic <laughs> license plate. It's curtains, see? Curtains. <laughs> so there's some back and forth between Crowley and Aziraphale. Crowley is so desperate. He's like, he's so desperate. He's like, you have to run away with me. We'll go to Alpha Centauri. Come on, get in the car. I think he's going to drive to Alpha Centauri. I'm not entirely sure what his plan is there, but he's just like, come with me. Get away, get away, get away. Well, I, I heard that there is a new hyperspace bypass lane going in. <laughs> I was going to say, like, hitchhiking. Could be planning to hitchhike. <laughs> yeah. Um, you, you have to go to Alpha Centauri to read the plans to know that there's a hyperspace bypass. Oh, though. right, yeah. Well, that's why he wants yeah, to go to Alpha true. Centauri to check into it. So he can, so he can right. figure out, yeah, so he can get the map. Maybe that's what the apocalypse is, is actually just the Vogon constructor fleet coming through. Perfect. <laughs> I don't want to hear their. And we'll poem find about out all about. So, so Good Omens Part Two is actually going to be like an, a crossover with the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. <laughs> that would be awesome. Could be. Could be. That would be so awesome. 
I gotta say, my favorite thing about this scene is the human who says, I've been there. You've yeah. been without him. <laughs> 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 ultimate, ultimate and that human's scene. name? Ford Prefect. <laughs> Okay, is there any way it must that we be can... Monday? I never got the hang of Mondays. Yep. <laughs> is there any way that we can get Axel on the writing staff? This this should happen. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> so next we get to the scene where Crowley goes home and gets out the holy water, and I love he's all done up in protective gear and he's got the tongs to make sure he doesn't get. He's like it's radioactive. <laughs> make sure he's not going to get any on him. <laughs> so in the book, they. Uh, he sees the car coming. He sees Hester and Ligger coming in a car. And he said, it's kind of car shaped. But if you look at it really closely, you see the wheels aren't turning. And in fact, the wheels aren't even attached. Like they don't <laughs> really don't get technology, but they want to blend in. <laughs> so in the book, it never actually explains where he got the holy water from. At some point, he managed to get a hold of some holy water. But the whole thing where he asks Xerophil for it and Xerophil finally gives it to him is just for the show. And I would say it adds so much to the the interaction between the characters that oh, yeah. I'm oh, yeah. glad it was added. Oh yeah. Yeah. Yeah, this this the show is very much more about them than the book was. The book was much yeah. more the story of what happened. This is their story. I saw a wonderful description actually somebody said what's good omens about and and the person who responded said um have you ever seen a movie that's like got this great storyline and there's these two characters that are almost background characters that aren't really relevant to the plot, but they just have something really interesting going on and you want, you go, I want to have a movie about them. That's good omens. <laughs> Rosencrantz and Gilderstern so, and the end of the world. Yeah. 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 yeah that, that's what I was going to say. Yeah. Cl- clearly the book is Hamlet and the TV series is Rosencrantz and Gilderstern. <laughs> yeah. I like it. I like and, it. And this speaks to, and this speaks to Neil Gaiman's, I guess, evolution as a writer, right? Because, I mean, like, Gil- Good Omens came out pretty early in both his and Terry Pratchett's writing career. I think, like, I think for Pratchett, it's like about six or s- it's around six or seven Discworld books were out by the time he got he did this. And given that he did, like, 45-ish, very, very young writer is what I'm saying. Interesting, you know, yeah. You know? <laughs> I like it. So that's so I so I also adore the line where he says, "Do you feel lucky?" Like he doesn't say "fuck," <laughs> but you know it's there because <laughs> he's of course watched that. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And wanted to be that. Oh yeah. Much like he wants to be James Bond. Hand. Mm-hmm. And then a drip on his hand. Yep. Wants to be James Bond. Wants to be Clint Eastwood. He just he wants to be a hero. And he comes up with this plot to delay Haster long enough that he can get away. So in the book, it says, you know, specifically, okay, I've taken out one of them. I'm not outnumbered anymore. But now I'm faced with Haster. Haster was a Duke of Hell. Crowley wasn't even a local counselor. And um, <laughs> the, the little uh, fake out where he says, you know, you're now proven that you're ready to lead the legions of darkness worked because demons are paranoid. You don't always know what's going on. Your bosses don't tell you everything. So the idea that there might be a, a secret plot to test him was completely believable. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then he disappears down the phone lines. And there's this little segue about 
whether or not angels or demons dance, dance on a pin, which is absolutely <laughs> hilarious. <laughs> the, the fact that, that felt so Hitchhiker's Guide to me. Oh yes. yeah, we're going to do a segue and explain something related to the story, <laughs> but but not entirely. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the whole, related yeah, related is doing a lot of heavy lifting in that sentence. Yeah, <laughs> was that from the book going through the phone lines? Yes. Interesting. And so is and so is the segue about angels and demons dancing, and the club that um, the discreet gentleman's club that Aziraphale <laughs> learned to dance at um, was confirmed to be the Hundred Guineas Club, which was a gay men's hangout in nice. <laughs> some point in the eighteen hundreds. And the gavotte was a kissing dance. You had to kiss your part, like you swapped partners and you kissed your partner uh, before you went on to the next uh. one. I was wondering about that. It, it was pretty well clear that it was a, a gay club that Azir oh, yeah, Pill yeah, was yeah. attending. No, no, no. Oh, it, it was the dance itself. I was wondering why that particular <laughs> dance was named. It was the kissing dance. Um, just revisiting the phone line thing for a moment, I just want to point out that that is also how the Adam in the early comics would travel around. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. yeah before the advent of cell phones, the Adam would just like shrink down and travel through the phone wires somehow and i'm wondering if if they lifted it from there or not entirely possible the scene where uh crowley is like in the the phone line and is like rolling around and spinning around mm -hmm. i've seen um video of that being filmed they had him on this like strapped into this machine that hung him in the air and filmed him in front of a green screen while the machine like spun him around and he's waving his arms and legs around <laughs> Can, can we talk one about one more thing? Oh, Crowley's dancing in that scene <laughs> with the psychedelic '70s things going on in the background, and he's just sort of boogieing. <laughs> with, with the most, Demons do dance, but they're not particularly good at it. With the most terrible of mustaches. <laughs> oh yes, that mustache! The mustache is epic. <laughs> You know, he's a decent-looking dude, but that mustache does not do him any favors. <laughs> so is that canon that demons I mean, cannot dance? Uh, they do dance. Well, they're not very I mean, good they, at it. They can dance. They're just not... Yeah. Yeah, yeah. that's what I'm saying. Is that a canon thing that they're not good at it, or is that just because they cast a bunch of English people? <laughs> oh! <laughs> Gauntlet thrown. <laughs> Axel? Rebuttal. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I am not going to dignify that with a response. I've been to clubs with a bunch of English people. They use the entire dance floor. I think it's <laughs> one of the distinctive things about um, being in a, a goth club with a bunch of Brits. Are, are you saying they colonize the space? Pretty much. Oh. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Boom. Anyway, good omens. Just <laughs> <laughs> waiting to see where this party goes. goth clubs in England. <laughs> um, <laughs> so Hester gets gets trapped in the tape in the antique answering machine, which was less antique when the book was originally written. Um, in the book, Crowley considers the possibility of putting it in the Bentley so that it would turn into Best of Queen in a fortnight. <laughs> <laughs> 
but finally decided that was going too far even for a demon. (laughs) (laughs) That's great. Meanwhile, in another part of uh, 28 minutes earlier, Xerophel is walking along the street where Crowley has just left him, and he gets cornered by um, Michael, Uriel, and Sandalfon. Again, not in the book. Um, but what I thought was interesting about this scene is he's very obviously scared of them. Like he's kind of doing this thing where he smiles and then, and then like it's... He's, the blood sort of drains from his face. Yeah. He's almost trembling. He didn't have this reaction when Crowley slammed him up against the wall in the uh, old convent. He's not scared of Crowley. He's terrified of these right. people. Right. You know, he, he he knows that there is some begrudging trust and respect uh, with with Crowley, just this <clears throat> this hard earned relationship that they've developed. But these angels are uh, all business, and they actually like Sandalfin actually does mm-hmm. punch him. And at one point, Earl Uriel has him pinned against the wall, and he's like, "You can't do this. What are you doing?" I do wonder if anybody can see him. If this is one of those moments where they're invisible to other humans, because nobody is reacting. Yeah, nobody to the tries fact to that break it up or. Like, or- yeah, shaken down right, right on the street. Well, it is a. Although having been in yeah, London, yeah, that's kind of going to say uh, like uh, I, I could go either way with that one. Well, I think the the seller there is that they're wearing their like gold makeup that they only wear in heaven. So I I think they are invisible at this point because you see when they come down to the bookshop, the the gold stuff on their face is not there besides his gold tooth. Mm-hmm. So, right. I think they're playing their invisibility there. Yeah, that's a good catch too. And I'm a good like that's a good marker for this is angel stuff. You know when they have gold on their face, so we as the audience know when they're hidden. Yeah, yeah that's a good point. Actually, now that I'm looking back on it, the the scenes in the early episodes, like showing the the early relationship between them, it seems like the scenes where they were invisible to those around them were the scenes where they had their wings. Mm. That would also fit. So next we're back to Adam in the woods. I'm going to stop it all. I'm going to start over. And he's just continues to be terrifying. And he starts, uh, he does that thing where he levitates and he shouts for the, the horse. No, no, you say terrifying. I say making some very valid points. (laughs) (laughs) Who among us, as an adolescent, did not have the exact same thoughts? Like, just fuck this uh-huh. and start Ad- over. Adolescence? Is that when that's supposed to stop? As an adolescent, you say? <laughs> it's, it's the levitation with the uh, adolescent thoughts. That, uh, oh, oh, yeah, oh it's the, the levitation that, that takes over. Yeah, yeah, I yeah. see. Okay. Okay. I was going to say, I'm, I'm down for just wiping us out and, and seeing what else takes over. I mean, I figure cephalopods have a good shot. We'll, we'll see what... Let cephalopods evolve like anxiety and shoes, and see what happens. You know, <laughs> well, as long as you don't levitate while you're doing it, it'll be it'll be fine. Okay, right. all right. So there's a little a little note from from uh, I think Dog actually whimpers mm-hmm. at some point in this scene. There's a little note in the book where Dog is like, "Oh, he's doing it now. He's all disappointed because he was having so much fun on Earth, and he's like, I'm gonna have to go back to hell and just, you know." Chasing the souls of the damned, and they don't have any taste. <laughs> <laughs> you know? Yeah, the, the sacrificial demon is nowhere near as fun as a ball. Uh, taunting, taunting cats <laughs> yeah, is way more go. fun. Right. 
So we have uh, Newton Anathema in Anathema's co- uh, cottage where they try to leave. They get chased back inside by a tornado, and so they hide under the bed. The prophecy says that Newton Anathema should get it on. <laughs> <laughs> because nothing on. says loving like a tornado. Well, you know, well, it's your last chance. Yeah. So there was an interesting thing that happened when they, well, the papers were fly, flying on the bed. And there's a point where there's a triangle of black in the middle of the papers. And so I started paying real close attention for, like, what symbol was going to appear out of all the papers piling. And then something just covered the black triangle. I'm like, okay, I'm just totally looking in the wrong direction. <laughs> so can I ask a, a question of, of Axel being a, a knowledgeable British person? Are tornadoes even a thing in Britain? Uh, not that I can recall, no. No, I'm pretty sure yeah, the I, I climate kind of is all wrong that, for and them. I thought that was, might be part of the joke, that there's a tornado where a tornado should never, ever, ever be. But, yeah. We don't get, yeah, we don't get yeah. tornadoes okay. in England. Yeah. yeah. I just wanted to double check on that because I am American, so therefore my, my education is mm-hmm. you know, American. American. So, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. So I, I wanted also, to double check. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm I'm pretty sure that tornadoes require like a big chunk of of flat land to build up the the wind ah. pressure whatnot which you know like they show up in planes they don't show like you don't get them on like the like you know the like, you don't get them in well, like Los Angeles that was San Francisco, the funny like, thing is recently we did have do a you? tornado in in L A and there was a big like but wait no we have earthquakes we don't have tornadoes and one happened so like, weird stuff is happening with weather now a tornado quake. <laughs> Oh, did, did it start with the water spout? First, sharknadoes, now earthquake natives. It was not no, full of earthquakes. No, no. It was not full <laughs> of sharks. It was not full of earthquakes. No so does England have Daleknados? <laughs> <laughs> Daleknados. <laughs> oh, Extermi rotate. I, I, <laughs> British actor natives. I just There's wouldn't let them. <laughs> No, they all migrated <laughs> to America. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's why they've shown up in, in... Maybe that's the reason they've started showing up in, in Southern oh, California. Right. You've now got a critical mass of British actors <laughs> spinning oh. around trying to find work. So if we send them all back, then England will get tornadoes again. Yeah. Got it. <laughs> right. I asked a tornadoologist. Yeah. Would, would that be uh, um, Taz? <laughs> Wouldn't be, he be the foremost for tornadoologist? Yes, yeah. he is one of the premier tornadoologists, yes. Mm-hmm. yes. So next we jump back to Shadwell's apartment. Uh, Tracy comes in and he ref- calls her Moraine Plashed Berezine. I went and tried to look those up because <laughs> I have no idea what any of those mean. Moraine was apparently... When did we get to Wheel uh, of Moraine, Time? right? Moraine apparently is an antiquated yeah. term for infectious diseases of cows and sheep. Plashed was harder to find, but there was uh, a reference to like um, a fence made of out of interwoven dead branches was the closest thing I could find. Berezine, absolutely nothing. Found absolutely nothing. I think I take that for my ADHD, actually. <laughs> I got lots of wic- images of benzene yeah. rings, but like that was pretty much it. Um, but she yeah. seems to recognize it because her response is to go, oh, Mr. Shadwell. <laughs> you say the nicest things. So then there's a bunch of back and forth between Shadwell and Newt where Shadwell is saying, what horrible tortures must he be enduring? And then there's a shot of, you know, 
Newt getting, you know, his pipes cleaned. <laughs> it's. it's <laughs> <laughs> obviously for comedic effect. Right. And then, meanwhile, Adam is causing weather. Um, so in the book, there was a lot of uh, uh, fish falling out of the sky. Like, they actually had rains of, of fish and frogs. And I've seen in some of the promotional posters, there's um, a poster where Aziraphale and Crowley are standing together. And um, Aziraphale has an umbrella, and Crowley is holding his hand out the way you do to feel water falling from the sky, except it's fish. And it's in the credits as well. There's, yeah. there's a scene where fish are falling out of the sky, but they never actually did it for the, for the mm-hmm. sh- yeah. show. In the scenes where you have storms, it's just water. It was a fishnado, not a sharknado. Shark yeah. or shark fish? <laughs> yeah. <A> codnado. <laughs> it's really crappy weather out there. Oh boy. Oh. <laughs> oh. Just tuck your. Just tuck your yellow tail between your legs. If you assholes don't cut this shit out, I'm gonna start getting really crabby. <laughs> well, well, <laughs> well, well, well. What do we have here? <laughs> could we could we move on from this, please? Tuna in next time for some real talk. Oh, oh kick God. your bass. <laughs> So, having completely lost control of the podcast. Um, <laughs> I mean, we're yelling about stuff that's in the ocean, right? <laughs> Pretty much. <laughs> Dead billionaires. Sharks with friggin' lasers on their head. <laughs> I do that one would get you, actually. <laughs> so we Thank have- so it's it's nice to have some good news once in a while you know what i mean billionaires are good people deep down (laughs) 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 anyway so next we jump to a really quick scene with uh adam and them and what i think is the creepiest thing i've ever seen he seals up their mouths so they can't argue with him I have, like, a really strong body horror reaction to something like this, where their mouths are gone. They can't... Wasn't this part of uh, Twilight Zone, the movie, or or one of those, like... Yeah, the one with the uh, the kid yeah. who and he wanted everything he shut wanted up and came true. Mouth. Yep. Yeah. I think that was in the original, because all of those were based... All, all of those in the movie yeah. were based on actual episodes. Yeah, yeah. I, I just recall it from the movie. Yeah, yeah, the the original episode was, um, uh, gosh, director of Apollo 13, uh, Richie Cunningham. Can't think oh, of his real name. Ron, Ron Howard. Howard. Ron Howard. Yeah, Ron Howard was the kid in the original. There's the also kid, yeah. um, a scene in The Matrix, oh, the yeah. first Matrix movie, where uh, they have mm-hmm. Mr. Yep. Smith has Neo. That one's, yeah, that one's slightly more horrifying because it doesn't just go away at yet once it just sort of grows together and that's yeah. just ew so yep really creepy um and then we jump to Azurfell attempting to get in touch with a higher authority and he gets to speak to god's press secretary <laughs> yeah metatron wasn't he the leader of the decepticons 
<laughs> well, that's ironic. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I just, I just also found out that uh, there was a Metatron in uh, the show Supernatural that was played by Curtis Armstrong, oh aka God. Booger from Revenge of the Nerds. Interesting casting choice. Uh, so I've only ever cool. heard of the Metatron so, from yeah. Dogma. Oh yeah, that, that's the, the one I was the, going to bring up. With Alan mm-hmm. Rickman as yeah, the Metatron was just well. yeah. yeah, absolutely brilliant. Yeah. Somebody oh, yeah. got yep. drunk and insulted God, so now they can't drink anymore. So like he has to take a shot and then spit it out. <laughs> <laughs> so I thought this was interesting because um, it's fairly well established that God doesn't talk to anybody. Like the Metatron says that they're the voice of God, but I don't even get the impression that the Metatron even necessarily knows what God wants. He's just spouting the same party line. That the point is not to avoid the war, the point is to win it. And you can see the moment where he says that to Azuraphil, and again, Michael Sheen, with the amazing expressions, you can see his heart break. Yeah. At the mm. moment that he realizes nobody is going to help him, that he chased... Crowley ran away for no reason. He is on his own. Well, and the, the organization that he quote-unquote believes in, his whole existence is kind of like has worthless just, Has just completely lie. let him down. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. Right. It's like, why create humans if the whole function is to destroy them? You know, it's... It, it's a... Uh, that, that's a beef I've had with theology for a long time when you're talking about these end times, you know, preachings and revelations and, you know, writings. It's like, what's what was the point anyway? I found it interesting that we, we have a Zarephel that's definitely trying to get the hotline to God. But even Crowley at one point is is looking up and trying to have a conversation with him, right. possibly inspired by the fact that you know, Zarephel has said that he's just going to talk to God. And God does not answer. Nope. She has, she has her own, uh, her own, she keeps her own counsel. Well, she was down busy getting the undercoating put on her car there. You don't you know, it keeps the, the salt off the bottom of her car. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. God has a big problem with salt. Oh, for sure. Well, their angels keep creating oh, yeah. pillars of it, so stuff gets everywhere. There's that whole salt desert in Utah. That's how we get through that, that, that bitter winter in Minnesota. So, um, Azurfell, as soon as he realizes that this is, conversation is not going the way he, he hoped it would, he starts looking over his shoulder, and he's looking at the phone. So when the Metatron disappears, he looks over to the phone, he goes towards it, he grabs the phone, and then you get to call that Crowley gets when he's facing off Haster in his apartment. So you've caught up to what's going on with Crowley. Turns out Shadwell's been watching this whole thing through the mailbox, and he uses his lockpicking skills to get in and starts yelling at Aziraphale, seducing women to your evil ways, (laughs) which results in the funniest line in the entire show, which is, oh, I think you've got the wrong shot. (laughs) (laughs) And Shadwell's incompetence, right? Because he thinks that Crow- or, uh, Aziraphale's a witch and can't tell the difference. He's, he's exercising a demon <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> with bell, book, and candle. He's exercising a demon. So in the book, it specifically says that 
Chadwell thought Crowley was a member of the mob, of the mafia, thought that Aziraphale was probably a Russian spy and that he knew where the shop was because he had followed him on a couple of occasions from meetings where uh, Shadwell had been dropping off his pay. So um, Shadwell accidentally chases Aziraphale into the circle where you get Aziraphale's one and only time he swears in 6,000 years on Earth. (laughs) Oh, fuck. Which is the proper thing to say at that point. Pretty much all you can say at that point. Aziraphale gets transported back to heaven Shadwell stares at his finger like it's about to go off. <laughs> it's like, did, 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 I, did I do that? And lets himself out of the shop, knocks over a candle, starts the fire, and then we end the episode on a cliffhanger. Dun, dun, dun. So, thoughts. And you notice the first thing that burns is the uh, playbill for the sound of music. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Nazis, man. Climb every mountain. So this this part where the the Shadwell accidentally sets the shop on fire and Azurfell gets ported back to heaven is in the book. I kind of had a like I knew what was going to happen. It was a little bit of telegraphing of the he's backing up, telling him the circle's still active and keeps backing up. And I'm like, you're trying to keep him out of the circle, but you're backing into it. You're you're keeping him out of the circle, but you're backing into it. You're oh, never mind. <laughs> <laughs> He's so worried about keeping someone else. Yeah, he's so worried about keeping Chadwell out of trouble. But the funny thing is now Chadwell also thinks he can get rid of demons. Yeah. By lighting a lighter in front of him. <laughs> Bell, book, and candle. <laughs> this is all I need to do. <laughs> My finger gun is magic. <laughs> and, and going back to uh, what we were saying earlier about, you know, the, the British actors taking American roles. Michael McKean. An American actor playing a Scottish role. Would you call that accent oh. Scottish? Ish. Heavy, heavy <laughs> accent on the ish. Scottish-ish. But, yeah. Scottish-ish. Scottish-ish. Well, he does have the right last name. This is true. Yeah. But he's from, like, you know, Wisconsin or something. So yeah, but He may have, he may have, may have uh, grandparents or something that sound like it. Wasn't Jim Dillon was, did it, too. Yeah. 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 And Simon Pegg. He was also uh, playing... Um, an English rock star in Spinal Tap, wasn't he? David oh, yeah. St. Ubbins. Christopher Guest could, could you know, he, he, he is related to English uh, uh, barony or something like that. You know, he, he's, he's actually got a title. Uh, but he grew up in America, so, or Canada, I can't remember. But, yeah, it's, it, the whole Spinal Tap thing is interesting. Yeah, I, I just want to say Michael McKean is a, fantastic actor and i love him and everything he does and he is just having so much fun with this role oh my god yeah. oh yeah oh yeah it's chewing just, up the scenery. Chew scenery yes yeah. he unfortunately yeah, I, I is agree. not He's... in episode in season two he oh, was no. he was originally scheduled to be in it and then i think he got ill or something when they were shooting oh, so could yeah. not appear or couldn't mm, travel there was bummer. some there was something that came up oh that's unfortunate yeah yeah the woman who plays uh, madam tracy is in it but in a completely different role. So this is where the interesting thing about um, season two is they basically said all these actors who were in season one loved it so much and loved each other so much and working together that some of them wanted to be in season two, even though they're 
their character did not have a part, so they just recast them. <laughs> so Miranda Richardson is in it. In it, um, the woman who played um, Sister Mary Loquacious is in it in completely different roles. Oh, awesome! Nice. That that is something that you see quite often. That you know, like directors, producers, writers have like actors they like to work mm-hmm. with, so they will show up. It, it's unusual for it to be. Same actor in, in, in the second season of the same story. Mm-hmm. But I guess it depends on how much this is a separate, entirely separate book that just happens to, you know, have a, 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 a familiar starting point. So here's what I know about season two. Neil Gaiman has told the story about after they wrote Good Omens, uh, he and uh, Terry Pratchett had discussed the possibility of doing a follow-up but then at that point, Neil Gaiman moved to America, and they, uh, this is pre-Zoom calls, I guess, and so the opportunity did not arise for them to work together. They were at a convention together and uh, chose to share a room so they could, I guess, you know, the guests, either the con couldn't afford separate rooms or they just decided to wander together, whatever. Anyway, they ended up sharing a room, and uh, Gaiman said he came back to the room one night, and uh, Pratchett was still awake, and so they were sitting around talking, and they had a discussion about if they did write a follow-up to Good Omens, what would they write? And so they came up with a plot. None of this was ever written down, but they hammered out the plot verbally between the two of them. Season two is not that story. Season two is what has to happen to the characters to get them to the point where this story can start. Oh, Ooh. so we have a season three coming. So then, we have probably. an existing plot that could be a season three if season two does well. Awesome. Nice. But uh, actually, you were talking about uh, a lot, you know, not many series have, you know, they completely recast the same cast, but they recast. There was one mm-hmm. that uh, uh, I believe it was a TBS show called Miracle Workers that did that concept mm-hmm. where each season the the same cast were playing different characters like Daniel Radcliffe and I, yeah, yeah. I've, I've literally been over here for the last five minutes looking up information on that show. <laughs> I was thinking yeah. the exact same the, thing. The thing yeah. with that though is like e- the thing with that though is each season is a completely yeah. different yeah. show. Right, like the first one is about God. The second, or the first one, Steve Buscemi is God, the tech bro. The second season, Steve Buscemi is a shit shoveler in medieval yeah, right. England. The third season's the Western, and the fourth season... Just started. Gotta keep your eye out. It, oh, did yeah, it start? A, it says the first one just dropped. Oh. Okay, I need to watch it. Yeah, it, 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 it's, <laughs> it's, it's, I, know, I need to watch season three. It's in the first episode. Oh, awesome. Oh. awesome. Yep. And, and apparently season four is set in a Mad Max-like post-apocalypse. Cool. Excellent. Which was a very cool set. <laughs> I'm I'm excited nice. to see it now. Doesn't American uh, go- uh, American Horror Story do something similar? They have yes, the same. They do the, yes. same, they do the yeah. same thing. That's however that's they also that. then tied them all together. So you have people who are playing one character in that story, and then they've met their character that they play in another story because they've, they've interwoven them now. Oh, interesting. interesting. Yeah, the witches from Haven have actually showed up at the hotel in Hollywood, and like they've started playing with that world. Interesting. I, I love the American Horror Story cool. uh, universe. Schmigadoon did something okay. similar, too, where the yeah. every time they go Schmicago. back to Schmigadoon, the, the same actors play different characters in the, t- in the town. I think they should do that with the yeah, Dungeons like- & Dragons. 
Yeah, that would <laughs> be just hilarious. Movies. Whole new story. Everybody's playing a completely different character. Different character. Type. <laughs> oh, that would be awesome. What happened just to never the other guy? The guy yet. died off. We, we, we. The guy playing. The guy playing the villain now finally gets to play a character somebody else is GMing this <laughs> yeah, time. Exactly. It would be hilarious. <laughs> I, oh, I yes. really wanted just one point in the D&D movie for like something really fucking weird to happen and everybody stand around like going, what is going on? And then like the big zoom out and you actually show the room with the nerds playing and like somebody just <laughs> yeah. spilled a Coke on the, on the <laughs> table or something. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Very Lego movie there. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah, exactly. the fourth wall. Well, there's yeah. <laughs> uh, no, I can't talk about that. Oh. Good mm. looking at me! <laughs> <laughs> so does anybody have anything else about Good Omens before we shut down? <laughs> oh, right, right. Good Omens. Good omens. Uh, uh, not, not exactly Good Omens, but I did finally start watching Staged, and oh my god, you guys were right. It, it's, it is brilliant. The, the I, I feel like we may have to cover. Hilarious. Yeah, I feel like we may have to cover staged here. Just, I mean, Guyman showed up in at least one episode. Yes, he did so far. Mm-hmm. So, yep. So, I mean, it. it, it so it, it, yeah. it fits the remit, and it's um, it's it's kind of interesting because they are playing like not quite themselves, but like exaggerated takes on their yeah. on their their the real selves. Everyone they know, everyone they are friends with, just shows up. <laughs> It, it, it reminds me a bit brilliant. of uh, reminds me a bit of the the, the trip the Steve Coogan uh, episode mm. yeah the, the like travel documentary right, where they're sort of playing yep. you know Rob Brydon is that the other one uh, they're they're playing sort of exaggerated versions of themselves yeah the 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 the, the pronunciations <laughs> are the uh, the impressions of Michael Caine that scene just <laughs> destroys me. Yeah. It's so good because one does the younger Michael Caine, the other does the older Michael Michael Caine. (laughs) And Michael Caine, he doesn't really yell, but if he gets very excited, he does get very, very loud indeed. (laughs) But Michael Caine says his own name when he talks about his own cocaine. So I That's think Michael we Pat. have probably finished our episode. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Completely <laughs> incapable of staying on topic. I'm... So I'm going to call that an episode. So Greg, if you would like to take it away, uh, sir. Episode in, in, in quotes. But we'd like to thank Michael and Jen at the Secret Watch Party, Secret Island Headquarters. Yeah, thanks, thank you, Michael, Michael and Jen. And Jen. Thank, thank you, Michael, Michael and Jen. And Jen. <laughs> you are responsible for this Slowly nonsense. Slowly uptake, y'all. <laughs> <laughs> Not only responsible for this nonsense, but other sister podcasts like Watch Party, Wheel of Time, Watch Party, Lord of the Rings, and a Watch Party of Ice and Fire. If you want and to get coming in touch soon, with us, Watch Party, Gilligan's Island. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> Team Lovey. Uh, <laughs> was Neil Gaiman in, in ever in an episode of Gilligan's Island? We could we could fit it. Uh, we'll on have here. to discuss that on that podcast. Okay, right, right. right. Yeah. Yeah. We're not yeah. about you know putting talking about other things on the podcast that's dedicated to something else. Yeah, we would never right. do that. I think he might be unprofessional. The Harlem Globetrotters <laughs> equipment manager, but yeah, other than that, yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> if you want to get in touch with us and. Uh, 
rail at us about this nonsense would. that we're spouting, you can email us at gameandwatchparty at gmail.com or see us on Instagram at gameandwatchparty. We've got a Discord, hopefully coming soon. We're trying to get that all set up for you. Woo-hoo. And uh, now it's time for the final question. Siobhan? So if you were to discover that you are the Antichrist and you have the power to make a massive change in the world, what would you do? David? Ah, probably take away um, terminal disease. Noble. Noble. I like it. Greg? I would go for unlimited donuts. I mean, I don't know about you guys, but... Yeah, yeah. Donut rain sounds good. Donut rain, just sort of growing out of the ground. So you can just, just go by it. Whenever. Yeah, just, just pick an old fashioned. Okay. Mowing the lawn would smell amazing. Ruark, you're going to come up with something completely unacceptable. Let's hear it. <laughs> I I was just thinking I would actually do away with Taco Tuesday. <gasps> Taco all the time? Exactly. Taco Tuesday oh, is, okay. is such a okay. bad example for our children, making them think that tacos are relegated to only one day a week when tacos should be celebrated every day. Amen. It's valid. Amen. It's valid. Preach. So I would make it actually rain tacos. <laughs> yes. Or about the, inventing the windshield wipers for that is going to be a real <laughs> <treat>. <laughs> Salsa pools everywhere. <laughs> I think I would probably increase the endorphin response to orgasmic levels for sheer kindness. Nice. Oh, I like that one. That's nice. That's T.W., nice. if I told tr- you how, how wise and handsome you are, Lee. <laughs> <laughs> You're just trying to get an orgasm. Is that good for anybody else? <laughs> Do you see it? Hey, got a towel. Oh, yeah. I'd um, induce a great love for submarine traveling. Everybody who owns over a million dollars. <laughs> Before you do that, can I get into the submarine submarine making business? Absolutely. <laughs> we'll yes. form a conglomerate. Um, we'll sell the submarines, and then just, you do uh, it. And then you get a million dollars. Sure you have corners to. there, DW. Yeah. Well, and I can't, I can't make too much doing it, or suddenly I'm going to want to go in a submarine. <laughs> <laughs> it keeps you in check. You got to keep things in check. Here's what you do, DW. You take all your profits and you put it into an ultimate submarine just for you. No, I don't want to go in a submarine. <laughs> that would keep you under the threshold and ensure it would that you're under the threshold of the Titanic. That's the threshold that would keep me under. <laughs> Created a very low bar. Um, <laughs> but yeah, oh, I'm hey, under a lot of pressure here. Okay. Just below sea level. <laughs> It'll be okay, DW, because with the niceness and orgasm, you'll want to just give away your money all the time anyway. There you go. I think that is probably the absolute best conversation to fade out on. <laughs> <laughs> How about, how about yours? Um, mine was pretty much the same as Axel's, to be perfectly honest. <laughs> <laughs> Something involving billionaires. Something at the involving of the ocean. billionaires. Yeah. So what I was what I was actually going yep. to say was I would um, take the richest person in the world and 
have him die under mysterious circumstances, like maybe a orca eats his yacht or something. And then I would wait a week and then have the second richest person in the world have something take them out. Maybe, you know, their submarine got stranded. And then the third richest person, I figure by the end of the first three months, I'd have billionaires begging to give their money away. Yeah. Nice. I like it. We can make... So this also shows the difference between Siobhan and my... giving them an out. Siobhan is doing... More importantly... No, so I'm me too, right? It's just you're creating... You're like, you are directing, right? Like, you're in charge at each step of the process, right? Me, I can't rely on having the follow-through to do something that complicated. So I just set a scenario... And let them Insta- take care of themselves. completion. <laughs> I, 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 I like going somewhere between the two of you. I like I like both approaches actually. I like starting at the top and working your way down and watching people get get people, pressured from people the top down. People will figure literally, out what's literally. going on. Yeah, yeah. Like, yeah pressure from top down. Pressure. Where's the charity? Yeah. I need a charity. Yeah. <laughs> I think the pressure coming up from the bottom needs to start a little higher than a million. Though. I, I feel like. A, a million these days is not the Ten same million. as a million was. This is why I need to be a host, because if I'm in the panel, it just goes sideways. <laughs> it goes sideways when you're the you host, too. <laughs> yeah, but at least that it goes sideways in ways I intend. Uh, <laughs> mostly. Intentional sidewaysness. I'm beginning to understand your pain. <laughs>